Well, welcome to Impact Church. I want you to take out your Bibles and your message outlines. I'm starting a message series today called The Next Episode. And one of the most exciting things to me about life in Christ is a brand new tomorrow. It's a brand new start in life. To me, there, there isn't anything better than getting a do-over in life. It's like when I was a kid in middle school playing basketball at the park and something didn't go your way and you go do over and everybody would go, okay, I don't know why they would let you, but you say, okay, do over. I dri Wait, start over. I dribbled off my foot. You know, it's like in golf. How many of you golf? Any golfers in here? I feel really bad. I'll pray for you. That's got to be the most painful experience in life for five hours hitting a ball that won't go the way you want it to. But when you go out and play golf, sometimes people say, you know, you can have a mulligan in this round of golf. A mulligan is you sucked bad and then you get a do-over. And that's kind of like life in Christ. You get a do-over. But the thing is, you don't just get one. You get an infinite amount of do-overs because God's grace covers your life. And he has unconditional love. And when he died on the cross, he didn't pay for one sin. He didn't pay for your past sins. He even paid for your future sins. And that's what I love most about my life in Christ. And I want to start today by reading Philippians chapter 3. If you'll look at it with me. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. He says, I'm not all that I should be. Sounds like you wrote this verse, doesn't it? He says, but I'm bringing all my energies to bear this one thing. Forgetting the past. Somebody say forget about it. And looking forward to what lies ahead. Now, for me, that really resonates with me because he says, I'm not all that I should be. That's how I feel about my life. I'm not all that I should be. I'm not who I once was, but I'm also not fully who God wants me to be. And so today I want to talk about making changes. We need to change. And change starts within us. I love to study successful people, whether it's athletes, business owners, entrepreneurs, world leaders, not just in our day, but even all throughout history, uh, centuries ago, thousands of years. I love to study successful leaders. And one of the things that makes successful leaders successful is that they are constantly changing, constantly they are adjusting, they are evaluating, fine-tuning, and correcting their life. And it should be no different for us as men and women of God. We need to constantly evaluate, adjust, fine-tune, and correct to never become complacent with our character and where we are in our journey with God. I want you to look at Ephesians 4 with me. This is a great couple of verses here. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life. Circle that phrase, former way of life. To put off your old self. Put off your old self. Say that out loud with me. Put off your old self. Tell the person next to you, put off your old self. Put off your old self. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we have an old self, an old way I used to be, the way I used to think, the way I used to process, the way I used to behave. That's the old way. He says, put it off. A lot of times, if you're like me, we put it off, and then we put it back on, and then we put it off, and then we put it back on. He says, take that old way of life and put it off 
which is corrupted by its deceitful desires. He says, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So the bottom line is this, is that your life is a story. It's a long book. And every year is a new chapter in that book. And I believe firmly with all of my heart and soul that your next chapter can be your best chapter. I believe that the rest of your life, it can be the best of your life. I believe that the best is yet to come if you'll put the worst behind you. The best is yet to come if you'll let the worst go. I've been praying about 2020, and it's such a cool number, isn't it? 2020. It's cool. 2020. It's almost like as cool as 2000 was. Remember Y2K? We all thought we were going to die. Remember? I still eating tuna from Y2K that I have stored up. I still got weapons of mass destruction in my garage in case my neighbor tried to come bump my tuna. I would smoke that joker on the spot. But 2020 is cool, like 2020 vision, and you see everybody capitalizing on 2020 vision. But I've been praying a lot about 2020. God, that you would give us a theme for 2020, and God gave it to me. And it's a short verse. It's sweet. It's powerful. It was actually the words of John. John the Baptist, and he said this in John 3.30, he said, he must increase, but I must decrease. Let's say it together. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's my prayer for 2020. God, more of you and less of me. This world would be a better place with less of you if you had more of God in you. Look at the person next to you and tell him he's right. We need less of you in 2020. (laughs) We need less of you. Now, if you have your outlines, I want to dig in because if we're going to make changes in 2020, how many are ready to change? Anybody ready to change? I'm ready to change some things in my life. If you're going to make changes in 2020, there are some essentials for change. And there are the four biggest essentials for making changes in your life today. If you're taking notes, I want you to write number one down. If you're going to make changes, you need to increase your time in God's holy word. God must increase. I must decrease. God, more of you, less of me. So I'm going to increase my time in God's holy word. Now, I said holy for a reason. I put the word holy because it is a holy book. It's not just an ancient religious book. It is God's holy word for your life. Think about all the power that comes from the Bible. The Bible, it helps guide you through life. It helps you in decision making. It gives good advice. It gives you wisdom. It helps you battle and defeat temptation. It helps you with stress and anxiety. It helps you with fear. It comforts you when you're sad. It teaches you how to love people. It gives you confidence and builds your confidence. The Bible holds us together when we're falling apart. My favorite quote 
of every quote, of any quote I've ever read in my whole life, is this quote from Charles Spurgeon. He said, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. Isn't that good? Remember in the old days when we actually had leather-bound Bibles? Now we've got them on our cell phone apps. I can see a Bible right here. See, look, this guy has a real live Bible. Hold that up in case we forgot what one of those looks like. There's a Bible right there. Okay, that's a Bible. And he says, you know, the, uh, if a Bible's falling apart, the person's Bible, a Bible that's falling apart usually belongs to somebody who isn't. When I think of that, I immediately think of my mother. And I remember seeing her Bible all the time. I mean, it was just every verse in the whole Bible highlighted and notes written off in the margins of the Bible. The Bible holds us together. The Bible is God's letter for your life. Some people call it a love letter, which is true. Imagine this. Imagine if you had a great, 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 great grandpa, and he, he, he left you a letter. You didn't know him, but he left you a letter. You would read every bit of it. Well, there's not a great grandpa. This is Father God, and he has written a letter for us, and the Bible is power. If you want to make changes, I'm talking about changing in 2020, you have got to increase your time in God's word. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, the whole Bible was given to us by inspiration from God and is useful to teach us what is true. This is the purpose of the Bible and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It straightens us out and it helps us do what is right. It's God's way of making us well-prepared at every point, fully equipped to do good to everyone. That's the purpose of the Bible. So the Bible has power, but listen, the Bible will not work in your life if you don't work it into your life. It is an act of discipline that I am going to set my schedule for 2020 so that I have daily time in God's word. Jesus said this in Matthew 4, 4. He said, man cannot live on bread alone, but on every word that God speaks. This Wednesday, we are launching our 30-day journey with God. The reason I wrote this book was so that we would grow in God's word. This book can't change your life. My words can't change your life. But God's word in it can. And it will. So we're going to go through this journey starting on Wednesday. And on the back of this book, I put Psalm 119.105. It says, your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path. This is volume two. We're going to go through four of these eventually. Some of you went through over a thousand uh, that I know of went through this journey uh, uh, seven months ago when we did volume one. This is volume two. I strongly encourage you to get a copy of this today. And go through this day by day. Literally will take you two or three minutes or longer if you so choose. But you know what? My intention in writing this book wasn't really about 30 days. I'm trying to trick you. The bigger picture is I'm trying to trick you into developing a habit of time in God's word. And if you can do it for 30 days, you can do it for the rest of your life. If you can do it for 30 days, you can do it for the rest of your life. 
The Bible is life-changing. My prayer in 2020 is that we consume it so that it consumes us, that we study it, that we memorize it, that we quote it, that we pray it, that we share it with other people. Essential number two for making changes, write this down, is I must increase my time in prayer. How many know that prayer is powerful? Four amens, good for you. Good. Four people have witnessed the power of prayer out of about a thousand of you in here. That is remarkable. Well, since you have no idea that prayer is powerful, I have a story for you. The first time I ever discovered the power of prayer, I was 17. I was not a Christian. I did not know Christ. I did not know the Bible. Football practice just ended, and I was in my bedroom tired on my bed. My mother wasn't home. And my best friend came over. I didn't know he was coming. He just walked in the front door, walked into my bedroom, and he goes, Trav. I said, hey, what's up, man? And he takes a toothbrush container out of his pocket and goes, look what I got. And I go, yeah, that's cool, man. The bathroom is down the hall. You know where the bathroom is? And he goes, no, man. And he opens it and pops the top, and just out of the toothbrush container was all this marijuana. Now, don't act like you guys never done weed before. I'm looking at a bunch of sinners saved by God's grace right now. And I said, oh, great. I said, well, we ain't doing it in this house because my mom, like, she by related to Jesus. Like, she will know somehow. She will know. Like, she has got crazy, crazy insight with the, fa- the man above. So we walked down the road, and we, we got high. How many of you, you ever been high? Come on, raise your hand. Be, be honest. You smoked some weed before. Let me see your hand. Come on, raise it, raise it. The other, there's about 30% of you lying in here. You're like, I ain't telling nobody, nobody. I might be on camera. I am not raising my hand right now. Well, it's about to be legalized in Arizona anyway. We might just have to make it a part of our donut ministry, you know. <laughs> grab a joint, grab a donut. You know, you get hungry afterwards anyway, so, you know. So we go back to the house, and I tell my friend, do not make eye contact with my mother. She's home now. She's not stupid. She will know. He's like, I will not look at her. I said, just no eye contact. She said, you just put your head down, and you just keep walking. We went into my bedroom. About 30 minutes later, he goes, yo, man, I am hungry. (laughs) I said, me too, but I ain't going out there. Mama's home now. He goes, how about... I just make a run for the kitchen. I grab a gallon of milk, a loaf of bread, and a sandwich meat. I'll bring it back into the bedroom, and we'll, we'll make dinner in here. <laughs> and I go, that's a good idea. I said, do not look at my mother. So he gets up, and he starts to go out. Right as he's about to go out, my mother happens to be walking by our bedroom at the exact same time. And as he opens the door, my mother's really playful. As he opens the door, she goes, boom. And I mean, he panicked. He went, he shut the door, he locked it, he turned off the light, he sits on my bed, and he goes, she knows. I said, I said, bro, she doesn't know anything. She doesn't know. How would she know? The only thing she knows is that, well, that was weird. He just shut the door in my face. So I spent 30 minutes talking him out of the fact that my mom knew. So then he finally goes, well, if she doesn't know, I'm going to go get our food then. I said, okay, just don't look at her. He went and brought the food, and we ate. About an hour later, I started feeling really sick to my stomach, like I was going to throw up. 
I've never been sick from smoking weed before, drinking too much alcohol, yeah, but never from marijuana. And I thought, man, I'm going to throw up. And he said, man, you better head to the bathroom. I said, no way, my mom's out there. <laughs> so you remember those old houses with the wind-up windows? You do this to make the windows open. I wind that thing all the way open. I got sick out the side of the house, which is okay because nobody's been back there since Moses walked the planet. So I was thinking, like, it would be safe. I go to school. I'm a senior. I got two classes. I'm done. Stop by my mom's work. Try to get some lunch money. She gave me some lunch money, and she goes, I want to talk to you at 9 p.m. tonight after football practice. Don't be late. And I'm like, oh, this is going to be a long day. And I get in front of my mom, sits down, and she goes, were you and your friends smoking weed last night? I said, no. She said, yes, you were, son. And she began to weep, and she began to cry. And she said, you want to know how I know? Because when I walked by, and I scared your friend, and he freaked out, I didn't know what was going on. But I went into my room, and I locked my door, and I opened my Bible, and I got down on my hands and knees. And for four straight hours, I said, God, tell me what is going on in there. And I had a feeling you've been smoking dope in that room. And I said, God, if that is true, make my son so sick he throws up out the window that I have evidence. That is a true story. Prayer is powerful. Never underestimate the power of a praying mama. Some of you mamas got a wayward child. Pray. Prayer is powerful. The Bible says about prayer in Philippians chapter 4, do not be anxious about anything but in every situation. Somebody say every every situation by prayer and petition with thanksgiving present your request to God and that that then means the peace of God God's peace which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus James 5:16 it says the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective Righteous doesn't mean you're perfect. Righteous means that you're saved. Righteous means that God is in your life. When you give your life and you acknowledge Jesus as your Savior, you are clothed in his righteousness. So the power of a righteous person, that's you, that's me, it is powerful and it is effective. If you want to see some changes... In 2020, you've got to increase your time in prayer. Set aside a time every day for a daily quiet time. How many of you are morning people in here? Let me see your hands. If you're a morning person, it ought to be the first thing you do. Get up, open the word, spend five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes, whatever you think you can, and make it a habit. We're starting with 30 days with God. For you morning people, it's going to be first thing in the morning. How many of you are night owls? Let me see your hands. Okay, night owls. You're up. It's 4 a.m. You're about to go to bed. I'm about to get up. You should text me. And you're going to say, I'm going to have my quiet time at night when everybody else is, is sleeping. It's just me. That's a great time to have a quiet time. Maybe it's something you do on your lunch break every day. I don't know when it is. It's not the same answer for everybody. But develop the habit of reading your Bible and praying and talking to God. Number three, the third essential, is to increase my time in church. 
the more you go, the more you grow. Say that with me. The more you go, the more you grow. The more time you're in the presence of the word of worship with God's people, the more you will grow. If you could take a pill that was called spiritual growth pill, would you take it? How many would take it? Raise your hands. This is, I'm not setting you up. How many would take it? Okay, I would take it. It was like spiritual maturity. You could take this pill, you become spiritually mature. You would know the Bible instantly. You would be a man of character or a woman of character, fruits of the spirit. You'd be dripping with love and kindness and gentleness and sacrifice and, and servant-heartedness. I would take it. Okay, that pill is called go to church as often as you can. The more you go, the more you grow. It's amazing because when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, God set me up. I didn't know I was set up at the time, but hindsight being 2020, I realized that God set me up. My mom catches me smoking dope. And I still didn't give my life to Christ. I remember thinking like, man, I told my friend she's like related to Jesus. Like, this is crazy. But you know, I still ran from God. Isn't it amazing that God can chase you and you still run and he's faster than you? Isn't it amazing that he can even catch you and you still try to fight and scramble and keep running anyway? And this was around November. And it wasn't until February 20th that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. But I was set up. I partied my way through high school. I was an athlete. My senior year, our basketball season just ended and my coach called me and said, hey, my car break, broke down, can you give me a ride to the all-state, all-star selections? This coach was my coach for one year. He was a 45-year-old teacher and he was my coach for that one year, and he was a disaster. He would go party with us. As a 17-year-old non-Christian, I thought that was really cool. Like you never, never have to worry about finding a buyer. Well, our coach will do it. I dropped him off at the Allstate selections. An hour later, I picked him up, and he's smiling, and he says, Congratulations, you made first team All-State, and you're going to play in your All-Star game. And I said, That's great. And he said, Let's go celebrate. And he bought, and we drank, and we drank, and we drank. I was an hour away from home. I tried to drive home. 30 minutes from home, I got pulled over, and I got cited with the DUI. I got arrested and taken to the police department. Saturday night. I'm a minor, thank God. But because I was a minor, my mother had to come get me. How'd you like to be that mom? Get a phone call from the police department at midnight that your son's in jail because he's been drinking and driving. Oh, and his coach bought it for him. But God was setting me up because that night, 
She went to her church and she called some friends in the middle of the night and they linked arms and they began to pray. And my mom's prayer was, God, let this be the night that Travis finally surrenders his life to you, Jesus. Let this be the night that he gives his life to you. And it was. And listen, if it wasn't for a power of a praying mama, I would not be your pastor today. I would not even be a Christian today. Never underestimate the power of prayer. But he set me up because I got a DUI. I lost my license for a year. I got hit with some fines. And I got slapped with 280 hours of community service. They gave me a list of all the places I could do the community service. None of them said church. So I took my pastor to the judge and I said, Your Honor, would you be okay if I did my time? Through our church. He granted me permission. And I did my community service hours. 280 of them. Through the church. Let me ask you this question. How much do you think you would grow. If you spent 280 hours with me and my staff. Over the next six months. The more you go. The more you grow. Church is not just Sundays. Church is a lifestyle. You and I are the church. We are the family of God. We are the church. We have church almost every day of the week. It looks different. It's in smaller groups, but we have church every day of the week. We got a young adults ministry who meets Thursday night. There's about 140 of them here last Thursday night. They meet right here on fire for Jesus Christ, 18-year-olds to 25-year-olds. Some a little bit, you know, they're 27, 8, 9. They sneak in. We really don't want them, but we're not going to nix them out. If you're 30, we will kick you out. That's creepy. You know what I'm saying? Some of you. 30, still single. You're like, oh, I'm going to go get me somebody at Young Adults Ministry. Thirsty. Man, Starving. The more you go, the more you grow. This Wednesday, we have Bible studies. You actually get to talk with other people at our small group Bible studies. In church, it's a one-way talker. It's one-way communication. But in our small group Bible studies, you converse. You do life with people. You meet best friends that you'll have for the rest of your life. People that are trying to do what you're trying to do. Grow in Jesus Christ. You will never grow like God wants you to grow by attending church once a week. Don't get me wrong, you'll grow. You'll grow hearing a sermon once a week. You'll grow more than you'll grow anywhere in the world by hearing my sermons once a week. But you're never going to grow like God wants you to grow unless you Get involved and get connected to the body of Christ. God's intention was never for us to just have church on Sunday. His intention was that we would become the church. The church is the most powerful organization in the world. Think about it. I could take you to a remote village in Africa. They might not have a school. They might not have a hospital. But they will have a church. The church started the first schools and hospitals in America. 
Let's take the Ivy League, for example. Harvard. It's a 400-year-old university that was started by a pastor. His name is John Harvard. He started it to be a school for pastors, a training facility for pastors. Yale, Princeton, Dartmouth, same thing. Over in the UK, Cambridge, Oxford, started by the church, started by Christians. The original tent was to train pastors. Since then, the devil crept in, and now it trains corrupt politicians. <laughs> the church also started the first hospitals. That's why so many of them start with the word saint. St. Paul, St. Joseph, St. Luke, St. Jude, St. Mary. The church is powerful. It's the most powerful organization, the most influential organization on earth. It's the largest organization. It's the church that started the Salvation Army, Food for the Poor, Red Cross, the YMCA, which, by the way, stands for Young Men's Christians Association. Did you know that? The church is powerful, but the most powerful thing about the church is not the stuff it started, but it's the people it changes. Because the church offers Jesus Christ. Look at Ephesians 2 with me, verse 19. He says, you are a member. Circle that word member. You are a member of God's very own family, and you belong, circle the word belong, in God's household with every other Christian. You're a member and you belong. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. You also belong to a church family. You're a member. It's not like a gym membership. You know, a gym membership is like, a lot of us have gym memberships, but we never go. Yeah, I'm a member. I got three gym memberships. Well, you don't look like it. I mean, you never go, right? Gym members, fitness industry builds their business model off the fact that you are not going to go, but they're still going to take your money. And it works. 80% of the members do not go. But they give them their money. How stupid is that? It's not like a gym membership. A member means that we are a family. And church is a family. If you're on my email distribution and you've, you've received an email from me, I often start it with, hello, Impact Family. Hi, Impact Family. What's up, Impact Family? Because the church is a family. Impact is a family. It's a family. And oftentimes, your spiritual family, if you plug in, becomes closer than your blood family. And it's not a diss on our own blood family. It's just spiritual has a far deeper connection. God wants to move you from spectator to participator. Let's look at the fourth essential today. If you want to make some changes, I need to increase my time in serving others. Serve one another. 1 Peter 4.10, it says, God has given you some special abilities. Be sure to use them to help each other. You are gifted. You are talented. You have abilities. And God wants you to use those to serve others. What we're taught in the culture, in the world we live in, is that I'm gifted to serve myself. I'm gifted to build my own empire. I'm gifted 
to buy a nice house. I'm gifted to make a lot of money. What God's word is saying is you're gifted. You've been given skills and abilities by who? God. God made you you. You had nothing to do with that. Right? He gave you your emotions, the way you process things, the way you think, the way you look. Some of you, you like to work with your hands and you can build stuff. Others of you, you are, I'm that guy. I don't like to work with my hands. I like to work with my head. My wife won't let me work around the house. I say, you know what? I'm going to put that ceiling fan together. She goes, I don't think that's a good idea. You need to hire somebody. I said, I can do this. 14 hours later. I got that sucker hung. I was so proud of myself. I said, what you think about that? Of course, it didn't turn on, but I got it hung in the sky. Some of you are good communicators. Some of you are not. Some of you are good people persons. Some of you are really bad people persons. Everybody's got gifts and talents you can use in the church. Some of you are good with kids. Some of you, we wouldn't let you anywhere near our children. How can you serve the church? If you look in your bulletin, we've included this little flyer, and it says Dream Team Opportunities. This is just some of the ministries at Impact Church. This is some of them. It's not all of them, but it's an overview of some of the ministries. Maybe you look at one of these, and they stick out to you and say, you know what? I didn't even know that existed. I'd love to serve in that ministry. Let me just say it like this. Honestly, does anybody here... You love Impact Church. Anybody? Like, you love this church. Okay? Let me just say this. The church is not me. The church is not the music. Those are great. They're two pieces of a very large system, a very large family. And this church would not exist without our volunteers. We have absolute machine volunteers. This place would not be what it is without our dream team. Let's give them a round of applause. This church is built on people serving one another. And just because you sign up for something, say, you know what, maybe I want to, it doesn't mean you have to stay there. You might get into it and you go, oh, I'm no good at this. I hate this. We'll just give you an opportunity to try something else. You say, well, I don't have time. I can't even come to church every week. How about you serve once a month? Serve once every other week. Serve once every quarter. I don't know what it is, but I know this, 100% of you, you can serve the church. You can serve the church. And that's God's intention for you. You ever met somebody that go, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church? You ever heard somebody say that? I've heard somebody say that, you know, a few times. I had a family member, oh, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, I just don't go to church. That's an oxymoron. That's like, you know, the Bible calls the church the body of Christ. That's like saying, I love you, I just don't like your body. (laughs) It's such an oxymoron. Well, I just, I watch Joel Osteen. Okay, good for you. That's great. Joel, I love Joel. By the way, listen, if you're a part of my church family, every man or woman of God that's in the world and lighting the world on fire for Jesus Christ gets criticized. Pick one. They get criticized. Oh, they're not enough this. They're not enough that. And he's to this and she's to that. One of the things that I have committed to that I will never do is I will never, ever, you will never hear me ever tear another man's ministry down. 
If they love Jesus and they preach the Bible, we're on the same team. Churches need to start building bridges instead of putting up walls. If we would do that, we would light the world on fire. I got a chance to meet Joel and spend a few hours with him, and I couldn't believe how incredibly intelligent and just depth spiritually that he was. I'm just looking for some helpers. I'm looking for some partners. I have big vision for this church. I have such big vision. I need some big time volunteers. We need a big time dream team. My vision is huge. Like one day we'll be like, I guess we can help you figure some things out, Joel, because this church is so small compared to ours. Like I have big vision to reach the world, man. I don't know about you, but I want to take some people to heaven with me. I want to have some people that go through less hell on earth while they're here that's big vision we can't do it without our dream team God wants you to serve other people it's what Jesus did he gave us a model he said I came into this world not to be served but to serve remember when he got down on his knees and he washed the feet of his disciples it's an act of service He was eventually crucified for you and I. That's the ultimate act of service. He's God. He's the king of all kings. Society says we serve kings. We serve leaders. We serve world leaders. God's the leader of all the leaders. And he said, I'm here to serve you. That's what the church is all about, serving. 